to refresh our memories. In the first and second contemplations, First, breathing in a long breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing in a long breath. Breathing out a long breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing out a long breath. And the second one, breathing in a short breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing in a short breath. Breathing out a short breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing out a short breath. Each of these contemplations is a, a principle of nature. And if, as the Buddha puts it, if each contemplation is made much of or practiced continuously, it is said that it brings great advantage and benefit. convenience and getting to know long and short breaths or deep and shallow. We've staked out a range that roughly goes from the nostrils down to the navel. Some of you will feel it go deeper than that in a very clear way. At any rate, you feel it stop someplace, pause sometimes. And then it turns around and goes in the opposite direction. Now, as you follow the breath, as you travel with it, as you track it,
perhaps you've noticed that you don't experience breath sensations throughout that course from the nose to roughly the abdomen and back again. There may be parts of the body where we don't feel. the sensation of breathing. Please don't make that into a problem. Simply be alert to just what's there. And then at some point you feel the stirrings or the wave of pressure that comes about because of the movement of the diaphragm. You pick it up again, you feel what is there to feel. Now remember, the emphasis in this contemplation is for us to really get to know a full breath or a long breath, and to really get to know a shallow breath or a short breath. And what's very important for each one of us to get to know long and short for us, our own personal norm. Some people who've been breathing in a very shallow way for many years may feel very little or nothing beyond the chest. Well, then that's how far you go, then it's relative. The long would be going a little deeper into the chest, the short, not so deep. For many people, perhaps most of us, A long breath for right now is when on the inhalation, a long in-breath, on the inhalation we feel the abdomen rise and perhaps following that the chest rises and then there's a reversal. And a short breath might mean you basically feel most of your feelings around the chest and you don't feel much below that. Or it might be really short, really shallow, and it doesn't go down to the chest. Now, the point of our practice is not to try to control and manipulate ourselves to get a certain certain kind of breath through any kind of force We're using the breath as part of a wisdom practice right from the beginning, even though right now, mainly, this is a samadhi practice we're doing. Helping to calm the mind, steady it, concentrate it, make it more sensitive, more supple. 
And as a wisdom practice, one of its main purposes is working with dukkha or suffering, learning to let go of suffering. The whole practice is about that. We'll go into that, I hope, later this evening in a bit more detail. So we're making the journey with the breath, feeling what we feel. without doing a lot of thinking, really getting to know all that we can get to know about a deep breath, all that we can get to know about a shallow breath. First and foremost is just what it feels like. What does a long breath feel like? What is our experience of breathing when it's long? Is it also slow? What other qualities seem to accompany it, if any? Similarly with a short breath, just getting to know a short breath. What, what is this? This is a short breath. Okay, what's it like to be breathing this way? And this is developing Sampajanya very important concept in our practice. Full awareness, full comprehension of the present condition of the breath, in this case. Just knowing what's what. And as we begin to become more familiar, to recognize the long breath, to recognize the short breath, to know it as it turns up, and we also begin to learn about the causes and conditions which tend to bring about full breathing, the causes and conditions which tend to bring about shallow breathing. Again, it's not to be doing lots of thinking. It's just to be alert and watchful. In fact, as our ability to travel with the breath continuously develops, as that really develops and we're able to move with the in-breath, move with the out-breath, 
we also it also becomes possible to learn joyfully. A kind of joyful effort. When learning becomes joyful, it's a very powerful force and motive in practicing. heart loves to learn, if given a chance, and what it loves to learn most about is itself, if given a chance. Now, if you remember, these first two contemplations are part of the contemplation of the body. There are four sections to satipatthana, or the arousing of mindfulness. And the breath in these first two contemplations is part of the contemplation of the body. The breath is considered part of the the body for our purposes right now. And so in addition to becoming more sensitive to what brings about long breath, short breath, can we begin to learn how the breath influences the body? Later on, when we contemplate the mind directly, we'll we'll see how the breath affects the mind. And you may pick up some of that right now in the process of doing what we're doing. But right now we're mainly concerned with the influence of breathing. On the body. Get to know the flavor of the breath. Kind of there's a a long, full breath, perhaps slow. Does it have a different flavor? Is there more of a sense of well-being, comfort, ease, than the flavor of a short breath, shallow breath? As we examine the length of the breathing. Perhaps we'll begin to see other qualities which come along. Come along for the ride. As the breath becomes longer, deeper, does it also become more fine? In your experience?
And where does coarseness of breath turn up? Or any other quality that you may find interesting? As we begin to learn about the causes of the kinds of breath in these, in these first two contemplations, you may find that if the mind is not disturbing the breath with one of its worries or preoccupations, fears, etc., if the mind is not disturbing the breath, sometimes the breath, at least for some of us, seems to relax and become longer. What about just awareness or mindfulness itself? Are we more able to be aware of a longer breath than a shorter breath? Or is that not a factor at all? Now, please don't think about all the things that I just suggested. They're just sensitizing us to stay alert to the breath, to move with it, And gradually, as we become more comfortable and able to do that continuously, to learn joyfully. If you're feeling sleepy right now, if the mind is not to alert, perhaps you've had a long day. Look in on the breath. What kind of breath seems to go along with that? Anything we can talk over together about your work with these first two contemplations? Be nice if there are any observations. It doesn't have to be a question or a problem. It could be in just this most recent sitting. And then we can also bring it into anything that's happened during the week. We'll talk about the applications to Anapanasati in daily life as well. Any questions or comments? Testimonials? Especially the the latter. (coughs) Sure. Well, uh, during the week, uh, somehow I forgot your most recent instruction uh, uh, connected with sort of correlating uh, you know, the length of the breath with, you know, how far down the sensations go and so on. 
I guess I somehow must not have heard that uh, or, or gotten that last week. Because when I was doing it all week, I was just trying to measure the length of the breath in some kind of almost like an abstract sort of way, uh, just sort of visualizing how long it was. And that was very difficult. That's not it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that may have some value, but uh, we're already visualizing a lot. You know, where a lot of our life is imaginary. And what we're trying to, to learn is to really feel these very clear sensations, like the breath sensation. So you don't have to know anything about anatomy or physiology. Uh, it's just whatever, as the air goes in these two holes, and then it makes its journey, the lungs fill up, etc., you feel a, a movement of pressure. You feel sensations. We can call them breath sensations. Because it's not strictly speaking the breath. It's you're feeling movement in the body that's brought about by the fact that we're breathing. And you just move with that. It's already happening. It's there for you. It's just waiting to be experienced. You experience whatever you feel. Don't force anything. And then you come to the end of the journey. Perhaps there's a pause. It reverses direction. You do the same thing. You travel with it. And that's all. Yeah, yeah. Just and as you keep doing that, um, of course, you know you learn how to do it like anything else, and you may find that more of the body becomes transparent. You start to feel more of the sensations, breath sensations. Yes. Well, I think it's nice. Yeah. I've been using it a lot, like when. When I go to lunch and I have to wait in line at a gun counter. And there's, um, in sort of way, it makes me more interested in uh, the Vipassana sort of aspect of thinking of how to put this. But when I'm with the breath, it's easier to be in the moment. And then it seems like then a lot of things are happening and everything is arising and happening. A lot of stimulation. Before, if I was waiting in line, I'd have to read or something like that. So it's just kind of interesting. Yes. I mean, if I had to wait for hours, I wouldn't be interested. But I mean, it seems to be more happening sort of around me. No, sure. That that's one. That's what it's designed to help you do. By the way. are you with your breath right now? You know, as we're talking. The Buddha says, O bhikkhus, the method of being fully aware of breathing, if developed and practiced continuously, sometimes that's translated as made much of, will have great rewards and bring great advantages. That's sometimes translated as uh, great benefits. Um, See if the quality of your listening is helped right now or when anyone else speaks. See if you can, while you're listening, allow the breath, at first it seems to recede to the background. You're in touch with the in-breath and the out-breath while you're listening. And it may feel awkward. It may feel like you're trying to do two things at the same time. But eventually it becomes very graceful and it isn't, it's not 
two things at the same time. It's a more a more um, comprehensive kind of attention that includes the breathing and the listening. And see if it's a help. See if that helps. Uh, what it's designed to do is to minimize unnecessary thinking and to help us to remember to stay in the moment. It also has a very beneficial effect on the body. So you're actually working on your samadhi practice when you're doing that, even though you're not formally sitting. And if we make much of the breath, it begins to get stronger. We'll go into that in a little while. But I'd really like to know a bit more about how the sitting part is going. Like this, the sitting we did this evening, or any sittings during the week. Are any of you learning anything? Yeah, about the breath? Yeah. <coughs> Sometimes I get into a little debate about whether I should stick with long and short, or start getting into a little shorter, a little shorter than before, just a little longer, start really comparing each breath to each other breath and to all the breaths I've ever had. And you want to write a PhD thesis on the breath? Yeah. Mad comics. <laughs> Volume four. Um, yeah, you you know the answer. You know. No, if, no, you don't. I get into this little debate about yeah. should I stick to the words long and short, or should I start? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is the words long and short are not important, and if. If it becomes such that you're cluttering the mind up with a lot of thought, uh, that's uh, defeating the purpose. Uh, this is a samadhi, pra- a samadhi practice. The first four contemplations are all a samadhi practice, and I'll make that a lot more clear. Uh, I hope we have time tonight. Um, it's Forget even the words long and short. It's, it's sometimes the breath seems, I'm going to use other words, but it's more, it's deep, and other times it's shallow. And just uh, you be, be in touch with the breath, but you can't help but notice, or you begin to notice more and more, especially if you hear someone repeating it over and over again, that some breaths seem uh, deep and some breaths not so deep, some breaths very deep. The breath can take five seconds to go down. It can also take 30 to 40 seconds. <coughs> That's how slow it can move. I mean, uh, if you recall, I said for the time being, let's consider a long breath when you breathe in and the abdomen rises. But it can get to be such a long breath, so slow, so peaceful, that the abdomen rises and then it actually falls again. I mean, it, it, we don't have to go into that now because I don't think we're the breath has uh, calmed down that much yet. So it's more just being sensitive to uh, this quality that the breath seems to have, that it uh, relevant. And you can notice that, you know, sometimes, for example, uh, you could have the law, the in-breath could be very long and the out-breath short. And it can be the other way around. And it also can be they're both very long. So you see, but you don't have to uh, figure everything out. <laughs> Step number one is, I think, to get comfortable and to be able to tell and know a long breath when you have it, and to know a short breath when you have it. As that starts to become easier and just more natural, then um, all the learning just starts to come from that. If at the beginning we're not so comfortable with knowing what's long and what's short, then there's not much point in burdening the mind with an additional task. You know, if you learn some things, good, but don't strain. And when the mind gets as busy as you're describing it, 
just as a, a, a rule of thumb, just go back to this simple breathing. Um, does it modify your breath when you start thinking like that? Did you notice? See, my job is to really urge you to, to notice these things. Yeah. Check. See if the breath, uh, when there's a lot of thinking, is different than the breath when there isn't so much thinking. Yeah. Okay, now but here... Yes. Okay, now it may be the other way around. It can go either way, but examine it again during the following week. You may find when the mind isn't feverishly thinking, then the breath can kind of relax and become long. See, when the mind gets busy, it interferes with breathing. Uh, that's why you could say another name for our practice is remembering to breathe. Now you might say, oh, we're all breathing anyway. But with, there's so much uh, preoccupation and agitation and thought, and we're, or the body is going through something, that we're constantly damaging just normal breathing. If you watch little babies, they, they don't have to remember to breathe. They have very full, deep breaths, or sometimes called a full yogic breath. And then we botch it up because we get so preoccupied with everything and worried, etc. So that we then have to re-educate ourselves and learn. But here's, you're putting your finger on a very important point. We'll have to go over it many times, and it's all right. It's no different than something we've all learned in this practice over and over again. First of all, have any of you found that there is that difference between one is a long breath and a short breath? Is there a different flavor? Tell me, what flavor? Is it more pleasant, less pleasant, quieter? You were implying that it was quieter. Long is pleasant, short is kind of Okay, does anyone else have any other data to add? Yes. Sometimes I find that sometimes when the breath becomes very attenuating and then it stops, Yes, but you've got to come through something to get there, right? In other words, the, the mind has gotten very concentrated. Because then it goes to the point where you're very concentrated, uh, you barely feel the breath, and then and you, as you get into the, jhana, into the very concentrated states, what are called jhanas, the breath in the fourth jhana stops altogether. Seems to, yeah. But that's true, that what you're discovering. But well, we're st- we're, when you start out, just do you see that just the ordinary long and short breath, what do you, what do you find? Mm-hmm. Anyone else find <coughs> out anything about this? Yes. I found the same thing, and the particular way in which the short, shallow breaths are less pleasant uh, seems to be that the, the chest is where I feel the constriction. It mm-hmm. feels as if the abdomen's trying to pull in air, the chest refuses exactly. to open wide enough to let more air in, and therefore it has to be faster. 
a little bit of air. Very good, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I I found. I think when you're tracking the breath all the way and down, um, it seems to increase my awareness of when the chest is tight or when the posture is out of balance. You know, the causes of what's making a short breath. So, can you give me a cause that you discover that makes it short? Well, yeah, I, when, when I, there is a tightness in the chest, or when I feel like there's a, a slouching. In the so the posture affects it, yes. It, it clearly tends to make the breath shorter. Whereas if, there, if there's some like energy in that in spine, or if the, uh, if the chest is more relaxed and, and freer than in the breath will just be longer. Mm-hmm. Any other results? Yes. What I've noticed is that the minute I become agitated in some way, either upset about something or whatever, I immediately start breathing or I breathe very shallowly. The minute I become like that and I take a deeper breath, kind of like that. Has anyone found that when you have a nice long full breath, what changes that? And you, you're taken back to a short breath? <coughs> That's right. So we're starting to see there's a certain provisional, there's some lawfulness going on here. Okay, now, and we can go on as you go on with this. Well, let me, one other, any other qualities associated with, let's say, length or shortness? Let's limit it to length. If you find a, a, a deep breath, anything else in addition to deep, what other qualities come along with it, seemingly? Yeah. I think there are sort of fields of energy and tones. If the longer the is better, the more open and more spacious, and the uh, shorter the is much more constricted and anxious. Which is more comfortable? Which is easier to observe? Is there any difference? So, so longer breath is easier for you to observe. Yeah. Okay, now, see, now that we already have an, uh, a spin-off from this, from that kind, once you see that, has anyone else seen that, that it's easier to watch, to be mindful of a long breath and a short breath? Who else? Anyone? Okay, now, to, to, we're, to fulfill this contemplation, that is, uh, and I'll give you some guidelines, because we don't have a meeting next week, and so you're going to have two weeks to keep going. I'll give you some guidelines as to how you know this, this particular, these two contemplations are developing. I mean, just by what you're saying, it's developing. The, uh, as we begin to master these contemplations, that means we're able to be as fully mindful of the long breath, even the long, pleasant, smooth, sweet, nice, full, breath as the choppy, anxious, can we be just as attentive? And that becomes a challenge. 
because if you read the the sutta, the yogi knows when it went. I'll read it to you. I know you, you've heard it, but breathing in a short breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing in a short breath. Breathing out a short breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing out a short breath. It's not a different standard for the short one. It's exactly the same. We've got to know that one, and we've got to know the long one. And so right there we have an interesting kind of learning to go on because we're being asked to pay attention to something that perhaps is unpleasant. starting to sound like it is. The full one seems easier for us to pay attention to. Okay, now here's another (coughs) potential problem. Are we starting to get a feeling that uh, a deep... Yes? I'm not sure I know what you mean. What do you mean by you watch variations? Um, of the light. Yes. Okay, that's what you felt. But uh, it's not so much thought as the quality of the breath itself. Was, there, was the quality, I'm using the term like flavor, was it any different for the long breath than for the short breath? issue, that is, what one person is calling long and short, in other words, they might not have been that much very longer, relatively. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, has anyone noticed that the more continuous your observation is, the more you're able to uh, bring close placement of attention to the in-breath and the out-breath and the in-breath and the out-breath and the in-breath and the out-breath, with as much continuity as possible, uh, that the breath gets longer? Has anyone seen that? Deeper? That just... Mindfulness itself is what changes the breath. You've seen that? Anyone else seen that? You're not trying to change the breath. You're just observing it, just the way it is. Uh, This can begin to help us see that mindfulness is a very powerful energy. In the ancient texts, one of the functions of mindfulness, it is said that it it sets things right. That's very beautiful. In other words, when you bring mindfulness to something, it has one of its jobs. It's very good at it. It sets things right. If you're doing too much of something, you kind of, it's harder to do that. You sort of see it. If you're not doing enough of something, oh, I better... So it has a way of balancing things. It's a force in the universe, mindfulness. It's very powerful. Yes? I come to my sitting, the 
the breath is more relaxed and longer and I can keep it just needs to build and then when I have a portion of a day or a day when things are much more disturbed it's really harder does that mean you forget to be with the breath during the day yeah Obikus, the method of being fully aware of breathing, if developed and made much of, or practiced continuously, etc. Uh, it's like any other of the techniques that some of you have already been through a number of spiritual techniques, whether it's mantra or mental notes. If you do it, it becomes stronger, and so then you have that accessible. You have the, you're building something you then have available. Um, and I... I hope we have time to go into that a little bit more deeply. Um, but one other point. It's starting to sound like a deep breath is something a little bit more appealing than a shallow breath. Does that sound, am I interpreting kind of our town meeting here? Is it, does that sound right? Huh? No? You well, vote I, for the short breath. No, I don't, I don't vote. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there was a point where it's kind of funny because I noticed if I was agitated that it'd be short mm-hmm. and if I was calm it would be long mm-hmm. and I mean I, don't, I didn't experience one better than you it was just noticing that they were different would you rather go through life agitated all the time? no but but if you do your breath will be short but sometimes that happens and then it's short yes no I, I'm not getting into a, ver- a version or actually I'm leading to that <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, just wanted to piece of that. Also, the, the more with the long ones, there was a lot of stopping. Mm-hmm. Before before it would turn around. Uh, pauses at the end. Long breath. Yes. Okay. What do you do when it's when it's that way? It's just still. Yeah. Just be with that. If your breath, if there's a pause, simply be with that. And that was more likely to happen at the end of a long breath. Yeah. So you see, we're starting to learn something about it. Now, if you hear someone else say that, it's not going to be of much help unless you begin to see it. It has to be first-hand knowledge, even though we're sharing what we're learning. But it's mainly to inspire us to do our own first-hand work. Because it's in the direct, intimate familiarization with our own breathing that certain things will begin to happen. But, okay, here's, let me get to, uh, perhaps we can spare each other some suffering. If it turns out that the long breath, let's say by and large or in general or a lot, a good deal of the time, seems to be accompanied by um, more well-being, more calmness, etc., then what often happens is the mind starts hankering after that. And it wants to get. Whatever it hears is the coin of the realm. That's what it runs after. So if it finds out, oh, long breath is good, bad, uh, short breath, not so good. Short breath, agitated, tense. We already know it's not so good for our health. I mean, maybe you don't know, but it's, it isn't. You know, if you're breathing in a very shallow way, just uh, forget about meditation for the moment you're not taking in very much oxygen. So it means the body is not getting a certain kind of nourishment, neither is the brain. And of course, that's affecting our overall level of health and vitality. Okay, but it's not unusual 
that when you start working like this, then you start to want to have long breaths. And you start to perhaps have a, a negative attitude towards a short breath. And ambition comes in, a gaining idea. And before you know it, uh, suffering and then people will feel down on themselves. Like the ancients did a lot of observation of animals. And they saw, for example, that elephants and snakes breathe very long and slow, but that mice and rabbits breathe very short and rapidly. <coughs> so which one are you? Are you a snake or a, mo a mouse? <coughs> and we may use that as material to finish the job on how unlovable we are, or how awful, or what a bad yogi we are. Please, don't do that. Or if you do it, see that. We're not hankering after the... Now, in a very subtle way, we are going to learn how to, how to direct our practice so that we can use the breath to save us, to help us, in regard to suffering. And I'd like to uh, go into this because we're not meeting for a week. I would like this part of it to be a minimum of what we know together. So you can also begin to understand why we're bothering to do this kind of contemplation, and also to begin to understand some rough guidelines as to, as to how the contemplation is developing for you. Okay. When we're following the breath, probably what has happened to all of us is that there are many, many other things going on in the mind. Right? There are a lot of other preoccupations. The mind is concerned with all kinds of things. And we're pulled away from the breath a good deal. And many of the things that we're pulled away for, that is the uh, memories and future plans and worries and fears and, and rehearsals and all the different things that the mind is so busy with. If you watch them carefully, poor Andrew has to hear this again, he was here last night. <laughs> it's the same thing, Andrew. Uh, if you watch them carefully, you'll see that it doesn't lead to peace. There's those movements away from the breath are not peaceful. They cause some amount of ill at ease, or even deeper suffering. And the whole point of the samadhi practice is that we're developing the ability to trade in our preoccupation with all of these different tendencies of the mind for one object, the breath. Now that's asking a lot, because we are quite involved and strongly conditioned to grasp onto all these other things that come about through the mind particularly since they seem to have to do with who we think we are. And what it's saying is, no matter what that is, the wide range of different things that flow through the mind, fine, just go back to this one thing, the breath, over and over and over again, time after time. Just keep polishing that. Now, when you do that, that is, what we're doing is we're not letting the, the, our attention, we're not letting the mind mix and mingle and play with all those ruffians in the mind. We're not letting it just, as we say now, hang out with the wide variety of energies that move through the mind. We're saying, don't play with those children anymore. Go to the breath. Now, just to turn away 
from those other preoccupations, which often mean they don't lead to peace. By and large, they don't. Is a big movement away from the kilesas. Some of you know that. Or these mental afflictions or tendencies in the human heart that produce suffering. Greed, hatred, and delusion. And there are many offspring. Just to make that choice can be a radical change for a human being. Rather than uh, almost fatalistically being pushed around by the different preoccupations that the mind has so that we we don't mingle with all these other uh, mind objects or experiences in the body but instead we turn to the breath now if in addition to aiming our attention to the breathing if we can also be mindful so that the turn of the effort right effort that takes our attention away from these objects because we're doing a samadhi practice now and lands on the breath, if that's met with mindfulness, mindfulness then shuts the door. So the first, the effort to move away from those other possibilities that we could get caught up in is a movement away from trouble. And then if we can continue to be mindful of the breath, we move to the, to the breath, the mindfulness then shuts the door on the kalesis. Put another way, it shuts the door on dukkha, it shuts the door on suffering. Perhaps it's only for three seconds. Perhaps it's only for 10 seconds. In those 10 seconds, you're now breathing in and breathing out rather than worrying or being tyrannized by worry. Maybe it's only two seconds. Maybe it's one, one breath. But what we're doing is we're developing the ability to consciously extricate ourselves from something that, is, that hurts, that's harmful to the heart. We're learning how to do that. Now, another way of putting what some of you are saying is that when you get, uh, are able to be with the breath more continuously, you see that it gets longer. It becomes more interesting to watch. Uh, there's a calmness. You'll also find as it really gets, as the, as the deep breaths start, be, as your ability to pay attention more continuously develops, the breaths get deeper and it becomes dramatically easier to sit for long periods of time. Now, if you're very, very restless and if you have to shift your posture a lot, these first two contemplations can be very, very helpful. Because as the breath starts to become longer, more full, a deeper breath, what you'll find is that the body is much more able to be comfortable. Because the breath is uh, is a very powerful conditioner of the body. And we'll be going into that in much more detail in the third and fourth contemplation. Kaya Sankara, body conditioner it's known as. The breath conditions the body. How the breath is will strongly influence how the body is. Okay, so that now we start to see that, oh, I, I'm starting to see that as I pay attention to the breath, the breath gets longer and all those other nice qualities, at least sometimes. And if I am able to do that and turn to it, I've also learned that I have a way of releasing myself from destructive emotions and other kinds of tendencies. Now, more and more as you... Let me... Um, give you a sense of over the next two weeks, because we won't be meeting next week, some of the issues that you might want to examine to give you a sense of these contemplations are developing. 
One is, are you getting to be more intimate and more familiar with the long and the short breathing? So that you really, are, you know that. You know, you're more and more just, oh, you know when it's, short, when it's deep and you know when it's shallow. And if you do it a lot, you'll get to know that aspect of breathing. So step number one is that. Is that developing more? Are you becoming more familiar, more intimate with the depth and shallowness of the breathing? Secondly, are you starting to see, again, not with a lot of thinking, but it'll start coming to you, because I'm putting it on the agenda and you're going to start to see some of this. What are the causes for the breath being either short or long? For example, someone on the retreat we just finished um, reported that they had a beautiful uh, full, long, deep breath, and they were very joyfully breathing. And then suddenly they had a worry about something they had to do at the end of the retreat. This was the last day. And like that, it didn't even take more than a second. Suddenly the whole thing collapsed, and there was very choppy, uh, shallow breathing that you were pointing to before. A discomfort, an unwillingness to really be mindful of it. Beginning to see what uh, what seems to cause long and short breaths? Is it, if we're exhausted, very fatigued, is the breath likely to be a certain way? If we've had a good night's rest, we haven't overeaten, uh, perhaps we're having pleasant thoughts, does that influence the breath? So we, not only are we beginning to, un, to get familiar with deep and shallow breathing, but we're starting to see the causes and conditions that bring it about. And then we also, as we start to become familiar with the long and the short breath, we see how it influences the body, as we mentioned earlier. We start to see if, see if it is so. As, the, as you be become able to, to live in full breathing, that is joyful and also the body loves it. And it becomes a lot easier to sit still, comfortably, for longer periods of time, less numbness, less fidgeting, etc., less pain. And finally, are you able to, in a sense, understand that you have a tool and begin to use it to minimize the amount of suffering in your life? Now, this is not the vipassana part of our training, which comes in the later contemplations. It's the, the beauty of samadhi. Samadhi is also a very a great benefit to human beings if they can use it. That means the simple operation of opting to move to the breathing instead of being caught in anything. In a sense, we trade in one preoccupation for another. Actually, we're trying to develop a preoccupation with the breath. Maybe preoccupation is you know, not such a good term, but a real interest. Buddha Dasa, who I've learned a lot of these things from, he says that interest is extremely important. As you become interested in the breath, so all of this starts to pour out. And he used a very sweet example. He said, it's like a mother has come home and has a little present for a child. And it's all wrapped up. And the mother starts unwrapping the present. And the child is looking at the present, wanting to see what's inside. Finally, it's unwrapped, and there's whatever the gift is. It's that kind of openness to the breathing. It's not a drill. You know, in long, long, short, long. It's not, it's not a kind of militaristic drill. It's, it has much more to do with exploration and learning, personal learning about what the breath has, will lead us into the mind and the body. And the whole thing is about suffering and the end of suffering. 
So you now, let's say you're upset or there's the beginning of something. More and more, you will remember to know that you have an option, that you can either swim around or drown or get buried in what's happening, or some of it's small, but even the small stuff, you can just, like taking the needle off a phonograph record, just gently lift it off and go to the breath. You have the choice. I elect to not be irritable right now. I'm going to turn to the breath. Now, the more you work with the breath, if you make much of it, then what you turn to, of course, is more uh, able to protect you. The image that's, uh, one image that's used is of a house. Well, without any samadhi development or very little samadhi development, the person is totally exposed to the elements, like a person who is homeless, vulnerable, and that's the way we are. If, we, if our samadhi is not developed, we're taking on every kalesa that comes along, controls us and pushes us around. Go here, do that, grab that, hit that person, scream at him, steal that. Okay, okay, okay. But it's, it's often uh, more polished than that. The kalesas are become very refined, especially in Cambridge. You know, they know just how to do it. Okay, so that at first we're helpless. We have other kind of primitive methods to, you know, we, we use the movies to become absorbed in, or we use a book, or we use food. It's some take my mind off my suffering. So in some way we have some un- just <coughs> basic folk understanding that I don't want to think those thoughts or feel those feelings. Okay, let's, let's go to the movies tonight. But it doesn't work all that well. And how many movies can you see? You know, okay. Next, you have a house which is built out of bamboo, which means the samadhi is starting to develop. That is, you can turn to it, but often it's not strong enough to really hold you there, and you're pulled back into whatever is raging or going on in the mind. And then a wooden house, and finally a brick house. These correspond to different levels of samadhi. The brick house would be what is called upach- what is called. Uh, apana samadhi, which is a, a very one-pointed state. So now as, and that means what is happening is, and please try to follow this, because I've seen this a lot, and see, see if you see it. As you pay attention to the breath, the breath gets longer and finer. As it gets longer and finer, there's more what is called chanda, or zeal, or is real enthusiasm. As you maintain that attention to this increasingly longer and finer breath, there's a kind of happiness, the beginnings of a certain joy that comes about. Later on, when it's deeper, it's called piti, or kind of rapture. And the breath becomes very deep and very fine. And so the practice grows. In other words, as you begin to see the fruit of attention, there's a much, much more of an interest in doing it, and that interest then produces more attention, which gives you a, a longer, more full breath. And as that process gets stronger, you more and more are able to use that to extricate yourself, so that we're no longer so helpless in terms of these kalesas. We have a choice. Now, we're not uprooting them. That's the work of vipassana. 
seeing into the nature of the kalesas and and undermining them so that they lose their vitality. But what we are able to do is to get out from under, to get out of harm's way. And in the process, perhaps weaken the kalesas a little bit and strengthen our own tendency to prefer sanity, to prefer to do things that are beneficial for us rather than things that are destructive. So you can see that now, as you become more familiar with the ways of the breath, and you start to see the benefits of, let's say, full breathing, it's not that you, now, if you want to do take some training in yoga or tai chi or all the many things that are around breath therapies, that's fine. That's not what we're doing here. It certainly can be helpful. But if you don't do that, that is the direction that it goes in any way. For example, if some of you have a lot of shallow breathing, did you feel that there was a, some shallow breathing? Or many people have shallow breathing. If you keep doing this practice, as your awareness gets stronger, the breath itself starts to open up. Whereas the awareness is the breath therapy. It's not that you're trying to purify the breath, but just the increasing ability to stay attentive to each in-breath and out-breath, each in-breath and out-breath, itself purifies the breathing. It even has physical effects that you can feel. And so, at the end of all this, if you're really doing it, you may find that your breath has changed quite a bit. That it isn't as shallow, that it's deeper, you feel you have more energy, you're more calm, you need less sleep, your metabolism seems to improve, etc. So you don't. Ha- it will come of itself. It comes out of the of the work. It's not that you have to sort of strain and well. Let me make my breath longer. Please don't do that. That won't work. Now sometimes, especially if you're doing have a lot of long breaths. From time to time, you may want to just to keep in shape, intentionally experience some short breaths just to see what they feel like. Or another way to keep learning is during the day, from time to time. You're in, you feel happy, just turn to the breath for a moment and see if the breath is a certain way. Or you're feeling impatient or agitated. It's going the other way, kind of backwards. And getting to know, oh, this breath goes with that. Now, the interesting thing is that I found, and it's not just me, it's been going on for a few thousand years, is that as you get to know the ways of the breath, you see what's beneficial and what isn't. That contributes to having the beneficial patterns uh, emerge more and be more a natural part of our of our life. attention to the tip of the nostrils, we're feeling the sensations that are alive there, whatever it is that we feel. As the air goes in and as the air goes out.
and now with your awareness crawl into the sinus cavity or the kind of the roof of the mouth where you can feel the breath again in a somewhat different place you're not in the throat yet we're going to pick a few spots on this track that we've been traveling through see if we can't get more in touch with them and see if that doesn't make it a bit easier to do the tracking if you can feeling the in-breath and the out-breath there Yes, it's part of what we call the palate. If you don't feel any sensations there, station your attention at the sinus cavity and just be there and be aware of whatever is there. down into the throat now. Feel the in-breath and the out-breath in the region of the throat. In small ways, we're helping to enliven the body. Part of the job of mindfulness is to set things right. Experiencing the breath sensations at the throat. Just whatever is there.
And now on down into the chest, what we often call the heart center. Experiencing whatever is there to experience of the in-breath and the out-breath. Moving on now into the area of the abdomen, experiencing the breath sensations there. Experiencing the movement of the breath. In the area of the navel. Now reversing our journey by moving back up to the heart area. Feeling whatever is there to be felt. 
and on into the throat. Picking up the in-breath and the out-breath. As movement through the throat. And the sinus cavity once again. And coming full circle to the nostrils, feeling the in-breath and the out-breath sensations. And now let go of all these particular points and return to the open attentiveness 
to the the in-breath and the out-breath. Being especially interested in the length of the breath, as we've been doing for a few weeks. Use the breath in daily life in any ways that you might want to share with us. Found it helpful in any way or any difficulties in doing it? You haven't been? While working? While working. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got to the point where I remember a few weeks ago, looking around and kind of go start. I, I was, I was, uh, when I was sleeping, I was following my breath. I had a sense of my breath. Kind of, um, were you dreaming that you were breathing? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Oh. <laughs> I was just dreaming that I was about it, but I was. I understand. I'm just being a wise guy. So it was a little bit helpful? It was helpful. Good. Okay, now you see, this will have implications for daily life as well. As the breath, really what happens is the body starts to become transparent. You start to feel the breath wherever it is. So the beginnings of that, as the breath becomes more available, then it's, it's much easier to gracefully turn to it during the day. Again, what I would suggest is don't overdo it. Don't make it into some kind of grim, I've got to be with my breath. You'll not only, uh, everything will backfire, but you'll soon stop doing it. Uh, Begin to slowly introduce it into your life. Uh, Unite it with a variety of activities. It's not simply standing, waiting for an elevator, sitting on a bus, which are obvious places where you can easily do that. But some of you have had experiences, let's say, in social interaction or relationship, where it can be helpful. Tim? <laughs> yeah. I am. <laughs> I thought that Tim did some very interesting work with the, the breath during our, the three-day retreat. And uh, I'm really happy that he's volunteered to tell us about it. <laughs> Touche, huh? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 
actually wanted to ask you. I found myself this morning um, with several phone calls I had to answer, several errands I had to run, wanting to sit, being aware of the breath, being rapid and pretty tight, shallow, and with a lot of recurring um, thoughts going through my mind, um, I really need to do this and that, I have to mm-hmm. do this and that. And what I found was that it created a kind of um, <coughs> cycle where I tried sitting, the breath was very tight, was very unpleasant, these thoughts kept coming and coming and coming. And in the end, um, I sort of just gave in and said, well, obviously I've got too much to do today. I could easily have taken it out and said, I mean, nothing is that compelling. But in the end, I just gave in to all this kind of tense, agitated mm-hmm. energy and uh, got along with the day, quote unquote. Is there any way, I'm trying to understand this, is there any way to work with this? other than just to sort of sit and try to be with this rapid, uncomfortable breath? Is that the way you work with it? Why is it, certainly sitting could be helpful, but you can turn, were you in a sitting posture when all, or you didn't quite get to the sitting? No, I was, I was trying to sit, um, but I kept having these thoughts, the sitting itself was very unpleasant, Mm -hmm. and uh, basically I just let this agitation last after maybe 20 minutes. Something like that, and I was, I was trying to be with the breath, Mm -hmm. Um, and in the end, what my mind just wasn't strong, whatever it was. In the end, I just couldn't stay with this process. Yeah, and I'm wondering, um, it's good. It's good to bring wisdom in. Then you see, now we're trying to work through this sutta and just the way it was taught, and we're going to get to the wisdom part, Uh, but. It's never taught just kind of just totally samadhi without any wisdom and without shila. There's all three are developed simultaneously. So that, uh, for example, and this might be helpful to get ahead of ourselves a bit. We'll do, be doing much more of this. You have a few choices. This is getting ahead of ourselves. But just to give you, we're not doing this now, but you, so you know that it's available. And some of you have been practicing for a while, you know, you might want to do it. Um, when there's a problem like that, one thing we can do is switch into the mode of wisdom. Now again, de- depending on the level of skill we have with that, we investigate the problem itself. Now, whatever it was, whether it's anxiety or restlessness, you turn to it, you focus on into it. and you can see, for example, that it's empty. You investigate it, and you see that it isn't your anxiety. There's just anxiety is happening. There's anxiety there. <coughs> it doesn't have your name on it. It didn't ask for your permission to be there. It's just a force of energy that appears, operates, and then it disappears. And investigation can, can help you see that. Now, in the Anapanasati Sutta, the approach is, it's not really either you're with, let's say, the breath, or you're with something that's other than the breath, but rather you'd stay in touch with the breath as best you can, in this case, while investigating with wisdom, bringing whatever level of wisdom you can muster up, bringing it to the anxiety or the restlessness, 
So often what happens is that now it's not a struggle, you know, to like stay with the breath or to investigate. It's a more comprehensive kind of attention. Uh, a lot of the Buddha's teaching falls into two modes, meditation teaching, either focused, which we've done a lot of, mostly. Most of us know that. That's a kind of a zoom lens. The Burmese style is very much that. There's a point, picking out a point and paying attention to it. But there's also another mode that the Buddha suggested in meditation, which is more uh, panoramic and comprehensive. Now, you'll see that in order to do the Anapanasati Sutta properly, you have to develop that comprehensive mode because we're going to be, de- be working with the breath and impermanence, the breath and emptiness, the breath and etc. So here, you could uh, allow the breath to, let's say, sort of be in the background, be in touch with it as best you can. Let's say it's a bit rocky, and you're investigating the obstacle to being with the breath, and they're not two separate things. See, they're, you're doing them at the same time. Again, since most of us have physical pain, if the, your physical pain becomes extreme during any of your sittings during the next two weeks, and, you know, I assume that most of you would then turn to it. You'd examine the physical pain in the body, or at least some of you would do that. Again, you can do that while staying with the breath and see if that helps. For some people, it's a big help. Larry, in a very concrete sense, what was interfering, let's say, mm-hmm. was repetitive thoughts of things I needed to do. Mm-hmm. What exactly, how would I investigate that? Well, you see, you may not be able to do it, so then you... But uh, uh, one of the contemplations, the contemplation of the mind, this is... I'm keeping this frame of reference because that's what we're trying to do, is you would... uh, Being aware of, let's say, thinking in the mind, I breathe in and breathe out. In other words, you know that thinking is happening while you're breathing in and breathing out. And again, you might find that it really soothes the mind and that the thinking falls away. But, you know, there's no magic that is sometimes it's rocky and we do everything we're taught and somehow we're still knocked for a loop, you know, over and over again. And so, fine, the main thing is to not get so goal-directed that you take that as failure. Because the practice, we, you know, we all have our energy varies, etc. So, be skillful. If it's like that, you might want to not sit, but just walk, take a long walk mindfully. But just to give you a kind of preview what we're moving into is all the very rich subject that comprises Vipassana, which is, comprises our life, and learning how to uh, have the breath as a, as a resource to help us do that. Now, we're laying the groundwork for that. I'm teaching this as if we're all beginners. We've all, we're all starting. We never heard of meditation, etc. And so we're going to move in that way. But, you know, you, you're welcome to bring it into your practice even now. Hey, have a good two weeks. Uh, I don't know, would it help to come here and sit on Thursday for an hour, even though there's no class, or sit for sit and walk and then uh, sit again? But however you do it, uh, please try to keep, at least once a day, try to keep uh, aside a sitting where you work with the length of the breath and all the issues that we talked about. Again, not so much thinking about them, if you can more and more become familiar with what a, a deep and a shallow breath is, all the other starts will, will become apparent to you. You learn what causes it. You learn its influence on the body. 
you learn that you have a very potent tool or friend, better, a very helpful friend. The breath is a very helpful friend to use so that you don't have to fall into these states of suffering. You have the op- opportunity to switch. You know, you could tr- and begin to develop that ability, even if it doesn't work right off. Again, be reasonable in terms of bringing the breath in as an aid in daily life. Don't try to maintain your attention 24 hours a day. Let that grow, too. Let it be a bit light. Uh, do simple things, like uh, when you walk through your apartment, see if while you're walking you can be with the breath. It's very nice once you get into it. It's just you enjoy walking. When you walk, take a walk into Harvard Square or wherever you live, uh, just walk at whatever pace feels natural to you and don't manipulate the breath. Just be in touch with the breath. Now, when you do that, it doesn't have to be a kind of a pinpointed attention when you're doing that natural walking, nor does it have to be the whole universe. So panoramic. Stay inside the body and just feel the breath wherever it's most vivid as you walk. You're not controlling the breath, and you're just walking naturally. And see if that doesn't affect the walking. And eventually, uh, often what happens is the breath and the walking just quite naturally become coordinated. And it's just very joyful to breathe and walk. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.